Before we begin, I would like to, uh, well, just t- share a little bit about uh, my other life. My other life is in academia, uh, where I, I, I do teach seminarians, uh, future pastors, also um, people who are just parachurch or they're lay ministers in church and they want to have a deeper understanding of, of theology, of doctrine, things like that. Um, I, I teach those classes. And it, it so happens that um, because a lot of my courses are online, um, I, I've noticed that the, the, the demographics are a little bit interesting in, in some of my online courses. And one of the things I, I've noticed is that uh, probably at least once, um, once or twice a year, I'll teach a class, and at one point or another in the class, one of my students will um, come forward and talk about uh, their sexual orientation. Um, I have uh, students who identify as uh, celibate gay Christians. Uh, these are usually... Um, well, some of them are young, some of them are old, uh, but they have, whatever life they've lived, they've come to the conviction uh, that, that uh, same-sex intimacy is, is not, um, not available to Christians, that that's a sin, um, and yet they're trying to live faithfully in the midst of that. Uh, I have a, a friend who's a New Testament professor. Uh, well, I've met him a few times. I don't know if we're really friends, but uh, his name's Wesley Hill, and uh, he also, the same, same deal, he uh, grew up in a Christian household, uh, when he hit puberty, he started to recognize that he was attracted to, um, well, to the same sex, and he struggled deeply with that. He wrote a, a book called Washed and Waiting, where he describes the life of being a celibate gay Christian. And one of the things that, go, that you, you, you really quickly get when you're hearing this is loneliness. Um, all of my students, they, they, they talk about this. They talk about how... Uh, it, you know, there, there, there's, there's no um, potential for them to have the same kind of uh, relationship or the same kind of marriage or, um, you know, fulfilling uh, intimacy that, uh, that, that the heterosexual Christians can experience. And as a result, they are, there's a deep kind of crushing um, loneliness that goes with their life. And, and, and attendant to that, as, as you all know, especially some of the younger ones who still, you know, the, the, the hormones are raging as they, as they do when you're a younger person, uh, it, the temptation is tremendous. And yet they're convinced that this is what God has called them to, a life of sexual holiness um, that, that is going to be really, really difficult, really challenging, because there, there's no hope um, in, their, in their view, at, at least at this point, uh, of, of any kind of... Um, They've ruled out, for example, you know, heterosexual marriage, uh, and so they're they're just trying to figure out how to live a celibate life. And as a result, they have these tremendous temptations, these incredible moments of dark nights of the soul that are it's hard to hear sometimes. Um, And 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 very often they get to a place um, that we're talking about today. It's called the breaking point. They get to a place where uh, temptation and um, and conviction become overwhelming. And they're at a point where they're, they're not sure if they can keep going. And if they are able to keep going, they need to understand something. They need something else, something more than what they have in order to, to help them battle through. And of course, this isn't just um, my, uh, my, my students who, are, who identify as gay and celibate Christians. It's also um, any of us who, who get into a place where life gets really hard. You know, the marriage is really on the rocks, you know? Um, the, the, the job situation, the money situation is almost untenable. We don't know where that next check's coming from. Um, we're looking at our kids, and, 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 and they're growing up, and they're, they're going in ways that we 
are desperate that they won't. And, and we're, we're, we're battling with them, especially teens and, 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 and millennials in their 20s, you know, 30s and 40s, uh, who just can't quite leave the nest. We're like, ah, we, we, we're, I speak from experience. It's not, I mean, that was me. Uh, <laughs> thanks for the parsonage, by the way. It was really <laughs> super awesome not to live with my parents in my mid-30s. Thanks. Aaron, thanks you too. Uh, <laughs> You, uh, you, you get to this point where you're battling and you're, and you're like, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do and I don't know how I can remain faithful. Uh, I don't know if my child's going to remain faithful. I don't know what to do. I am about to fall apart. Um, for those of you who've experienced this, I have uh, anxiety. Anxiety is very much the same way. You're like, you get to a point where you're like, I just don't know if I can deal with this anymore. And you get to a place called the breaking point. Um, and, and the question is, you know, then what we're going to talk about today, what keeps you going? How can you remain faithful? What is it that you have, um, uh, the resources that you have theologically to, to keep going? Because the thing is, you and I both know God will forgive, right? God forgives. And so when you're at that ba- breaking point and there's a temptation or there's a desire to go off the rails or whatever, you're like, well, I'll just, I'll just do it and I'll feel better and then God will forgive me. I'll, I'll beg him for forgiveness. I know he will because his blood covers my sin, right? And maybe you've been at that place where you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I, I need this and, and, but I know that God will forgive me and, and you're at that point. What is it that holds you? holds you in? What keeps you there? Is there something that you can look to and say, this is what's going to ground me? As we journey through the text today, I think we're going to get to see inside the way John thinks about this, the way that he sees, the way that he understands a way for Christians to, to get through the breaking point. So let's look at the text together. This is 1 John 5, 4 to 5. So then, everything that has been born or has its origin in God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faithfulness. Who is it that defeats the world, if not the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You just look at that over and over, overcomes, overcomes. Victory, uh, even, that, uh, even that victory uh, there, it's the same root, and I've, I've translated victory, but it could be um, and this is the overcoming that has overcome the world. It's the same uh, root there. You could read it that way, or you could say defeat, or um, victory in battle, something like that. And so there's this question, what, what does it mean? What is John thinking about? What's going on in his mind when he's talking about people who overcome? What are, what are, what's, what's really happening there? Who is, and what is an overcomer? And so I just want to share with you the way he uses this word elsewhere, especially in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, he's thinking about the end. He's thinking about some, some wild things that are going to happen in the end. And, 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 and part of what he does is he, he gives a, a word of God to some, some churches that are in uh, the ancient Near East, really modern-day Turkey. And he, and, he, and he tells them some things about, about the future. And so this is uh, to the church at Pergamum. He, he, noticed, he says this, uh, Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches, to everyone who conquers. And that's that word, overcomes. Uh, Nike, nikao. Nikao is the verb, nike is, is the noun uh, in Greek, who, who conquers, who, who nikaos, I will give some of the hidden manna, whoa, okay, that's weird, and I will, I, I will give a white stone, okay, weird again, and on the white stone is written a new name, weird again, That's in, that uh, no one knows except the one who receives it. Well, it looks like um, overcomers are people who have, have, have gone through something, right, and then something good happens to them as a result. 
Uh, and so here, it's difficult to know, and someday I'll, I'll do a, a series on this to kind of tease out these things, because no one really knows what uh, these things mean exactly, but there's a lot of different theories. But here's the good news. It's a good stuff. The hidden manna is good stuff. It's referring, you know, to, to Exodus, when uh, the, the manna was what sustained the people of Israel while they were wandering in the wilderness. Something like that is going to be given to those who conquer, who have victory, who overcome. They're going to get a white stone and a written a new name. We might um, even imagine... In the ancient world, names are, are something of, of importance because they, they determine status, right? Your name is what uh, denotes the kind of power that you have, the kind of authority that you have. And so the fact that someone gets a new name, a special name, it might, it might indicate uh, that, uh, that, people are, that these people, these overcomers, will be having some kind of special status uh, after their victory. That's what uh, John said to Pergamum. This is um, to the church in Thyatira. He who overcomes, that same word, and keeps my words until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. For those of you who are really interested in power, good news. If you can overcome, you get to rule over the nations. That sounds cool. That sounds neat. So there's this uh, overcoming, and the result of overcoming is, is some kind of reward and, and maybe authority. This uh, next one, I don't have it noted, but I think it's to uh, the church in Philadelphia. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. He shall go out no more. He'll be, uh, he'll be uh, protected and, 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 and rooted in the temple. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. Hard to know, again, exactly what this might mean, but in, in the new Jerusalem, the new city, there's going to be gl- uh, worship and glory and, and perhaps a temple of some kind. These people, it sounds like, these overcomers in Philadelphia, they'll be elders or, or they'll be responsible for something um, in, the, in the temple and in, in worship. Maybe they'll be sort of like priests in the Old Testament. Whatever it is, though, again, you'll notice that new name stuff and writing the name on them, maybe uh, even names on the pillar. Maybe it's, it's as if here, you know, sort of um, some people think it's kind of like uh, when you donate a building to, uh, you know, to a college and they name it after you. It's like, oh, the Hanover building at such and such a college donated by, by Hanover. Maybe it's something like that. They'll be written on there like, uh, like this is a person who, who really went for it and did it and they're going to be honored and exalted forever because of what they've done. I think we have one more. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. Inherit everything. This is the first thing on your note sheets. Um, When John talks about overcoming, uh, these are people who can expect rewards, specifically elevated status in heaven. These are people, whatever, whatever we're talking about, we're talking about overcoming. We, we know from the way that John uses this word, especially in Revelation, that people who overcome may expect rewards and elevated status in heaven, authority, power. That's a big deal. When we think of heaven, we usually think of something like this. Oh. I mean, don't you expect hot air balloons flying through rainbows? Look at that kid, he's like flying on a suitcase. And the suitcase has wings. I, I, I just Googled heaven on image, and that's, that was one of the first things that came up. I was like, nailed it. <laughs> there it is. It's like, like a little valley with rivers, and maybe there, it's hard to know what's in there. Maybe some, a village of some kind. That's kind of our feeling, though, about, about heaven, right? It's like clouds and, and birds <laughs> and hot air balloons. Um, 
Actually, I think heaven looks probably a little more like this. Yeah. Shanghai. I mean, I've never been there, but it sounds awesome. It looks awesome, too. It was one thing I wished I'd, I'd seen in Japan. I wish I'd gone to Shanghai, because it's supposed to be rad. They apparently have like a kind of a handle on the, on the, um, on the, the pollution there. So it's this beautiful, bustling you know, metropolis or city or something like that. If I'm being really honest, and I'm thinking, okay, what is heaven most like? I honestly think it's, it looks like this. This is a place um, I've been several times in Japan. It's called the Ikaho Onsen, hot bath. Um, it was about an hour from my home, and uh, we would sometimes do teacher retreats there. Um, and you can see there's the hot baths. At the time, I had a, a ring that was made out of silver. The first time I went in, the sulfur from the hot bath turned it, like, black. Um, yeah, because it, it's, it's very natural, very... Until you're, it's, it's cold outside, and you're snuggled up in the, in the water. And notice how it's, notice how it's like, it's, it's embedded into the, the nature around it. And the next picture is, uh, is similar, where they, they've kind of built into um, the side of, of the nature of the mountain, and there's, there's trees, and, and there's this... But, but there's still a city, there's still culture, there's still society there. You see that? I mean, obviously, whatever we do when we speculate about heaven, it's going to be a little bit off. And I am thinking about doing a series um, on heaven and what we can expect it to be like. But the, the most important thing to remember is that it is a city, and it's a city that's built the way that God wants things built. Hard for us to really understand that because, you know, when we think about building, we, we're corrupted by sin. And, and our architects, when they design things, they're, they're terrible and they're broken. Like when Glenn makes a building, it's just, it's a disaster. And it's constantly falling apart because it's lack of skill. And just kidding, Glenn. Love your buildings. Uh, but we, have, we, we, we don't quite know, but we do know that it's going to have something like an economy. It will be a city. It will function. There will be peoples and nations. There will be rulers and those with authority. It's, it's not going to be flying on a, a suitcase with hot air balloons in the clouds. It really will have much more in continuity with the life we're living now. And so when John says those who overcome are going to have authority, they're going to have a special place, they're going to have status in this new life, and it's forever, that is a really, really big deal. A lot of us, we live in this world and, uh, you know, the thumb's on our backs, back of our neck. Imagine a world where that doesn't have to be the case anymore. Imagine a world where you, too, could be in a place of, of glory. I want to go back to the text for a second. So then everything that has been born from God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faithfulness. Who is it that defeats or overcomes the world, if not the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? If we want to know what overcoming is, we need to know what's being overcome. And for John, it's the world. When we think of the world, a lot of times we think of, um, what, uh, you know, vices, for example. Like, uh, those who are, you know, over there in Vegas, doing what they do in Vegas. John and I were talking about Vegas, the most depressing city on earth. It is. Because it's like, oh, it's so beautiful, and yet so, like, underneath it, there's, like, this darkness, and you're like, oh, rough. Maybe that's something like the world. Well, if we look back um, at Revelation, and we know that Revelation is where John talks about overcomers, then maybe we can get a sense for what he's thinking about when he says the world. And so let's go back, and let's look at, uh, this is uh, the beginning of, of the word to the church in Pergamum. 
This is right before John talks about the overcomers. This is what they've got to overcome. This is the challenge that they have to overcome. And to the angel of the church of Pergamum, right? These are the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you are living, where Satan's throne is. Yet you are holding fast to my name, and you did not deny your faith in me. Even in the days of Antipas, my witness, you can read the word martyr, that's where we get our word martyr. Antipas, my martyr, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan lives. The world is a place where Christians don't have any power. And what's worse, in this case, the world is where demonic forces, the enemy, has his ruling place. He, he has complete control of Pergamum. He runs the show in Pergamum. And as a result, he can crush and oppress and go against Christians until the point of death. That's what has to be overcome. A culture that is completely and totally subsumed under the power of the enemy. This is next. Uh, this is the beginning uh, of the church of Thyatira, um, the, the second one that we, that we read. I know your works. I know your love, your faith, your service, and patient endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first, but I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet or prophetess and is teaching and beguiling my servants to practice fornication and to eat food sacrificed to idols. In Thyatira, the world is where the enemy has sent in uh, agents to the church and deceived the church so that the church is no longer practicing uh, right action. The church is now believing, these people in Thyatira, they're believing that, that, that illicit sexual acts uh, are okay. They're, they're thinking it's good, in fact, to honor the idols of, the, of the, 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 the world around them, probably to say, well, we think Jesus is the best, but, but these gods are okay too. That's probably what's being indicated here. Uh, the woman's probably not really named Jezebel. That's like a, a it's an epithet that, that, that John's using for her. But, but this pre, this prophetess comes in and deceives the church. She's sent by Satan. And suddenly the people in the church are going haywire. They've given up on their, on their sexual holiness. They've given up on, on worshiping only one true God and, and, and his son Jesus Christ because of some kind of influence, some, some agent that the enemy has sent. The world's not just out there sometimes. It's in here. It comes after us, John thinks. I think this is um, for Philadelphia. This is uh, this next text. I know your works. I've set you before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know you have but little power. And yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they're Jews and are not but are lying. I'll make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. It's, it's a church that, that doesn't have much influence. It's small. It's, it's weak in the world's eyes. And what's so funny is there's a, when, when John says synagogue of Satan, he's probably talking about a, another church, a false church that's in the area. A place where um, people are calling themselves Christians but, uh, but are really probably practicing um, Jewish uh, religion and they haven't truly made uh, the separation um, that seems to be required in his mind. Those of the synagogue of Satan, this other church out there, probably a big, bustling, robust, awesome church with a lot of programs and they're doing really great things and this church is so hot and they look at this little church and they're like, you're nothing, you're no good. In fact, if you should do anything, you should fold up shop and come join us. In fact, let, let, let us buy your property so we can move in and be better because, because you are wasting it. You're useless, little church. You have nothing. 
And we've got it figured out. The truth is right here. If you thought you had the truth, you were wrong. You need to come to us. The world's not just out there, and it's not just Vegas, Sin City. It's not just deceivers in the midst of us. It's also sometimes other churches, places that have figured it all out, and they've got the truth. The next thing in your note sheets um, is, is about the world. To John, the world describes demonic forces that try to force faithful Christians into corruption, sin, and death. And that can happen out there. It can be sin city. It can happen in here when someone comes in and uh, deceives and, and divides the flock. It can also happen um, as co- almost competing churches, which I hate to think about it that way, but sometimes uh, they, they make it impossible not to be but competing. Competing churches who, who preach a different gospel and are... Um, trying to, to break us up and beat us down. That can be the world too. And whatever is going on behind it, underneath it, inside of it, demonic forces, the enemy. You notice how many times Satan was mentioned. Like the enemy, the big bad guy. And he's trying to force Christians into corruption or sin. You know, sexual, illicit sexual acts um, in the case of Thyatira. Um, death in the case of Pergamum from a, from a hostile government. Um, whatever it is, it's to corrupt, to set aside, to break down the church and beat us up. Let's look at our, our text again. So then everything that has been born of God overcomes the world. Isn't that encouraging? I mean, we just you, know, you hear what John's saying. He's like, oh, there's, there's people out there and they're, they're in here and they're over there and they're just, they're coming after us and they killed Antipas. Uh, but good news. Everything that has been born from God overcomes, defeats the world. And this is the victory that has overcome, defeated the world. It's our faithfulness. It's our guts. It's our ability to be, remain faithful, to have fidelity to the cross, fidelity to Christ in the midst of this war, this demonic war that we're a part of. When we stick with Jesus in the middle of that, we overcome and something good is going to come from us. In most translations, we'll just say our faith. Um, the word's pistis, and I, 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 need, I really feel like we need to translate it this way here because John almost never uses this word. Uh, it's used a lot in Paul uh, in the New Testament, um, and there it typically means trust or, or, or belief. But when John uses it, he's almost always talking about, you know, nose to the grindstone, shoulder down, head forward, no quitting, never give up. That's what he's thinking about. I want to show you, um, again, from Revelation, where this, this word gets picked up, and one of the few places where he uses it, he says, I know where you are living, where Satan's throne. This is, we read this already. Yet you were holding fast to my name. You hear that? Guts, go with it. You did not deny your faith. Like, it's like you're holding on, even, even when it really, really gets hard. When, when someone's being martyred, you stuck with it. Here's another um, example. Um, from later in Revelation. If you were to be taken captive, into, into captivity you go. If you kill with a sword, with a sword you must be killed. And here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. You can see how it would be a much smoother translation to call that faithfulness. Here is a call for the endurance and faithfulness of the saints. Don't quit. Don't give up. I think I have uh, maybe one more example. Or not. No, no, the next one's the next one. 
Yeah, right. Uh, here's a call for the endurance of the saints. You hear it again. Those who keep the commandments of God and hold fast to the faith, faithfulness of Jesus. Um, I would probably translate this, hold fast to faithfulness to Jesus. Uh, the, the grammar would work really well there um, to do that. Again, the idea of faith, of faith and faithfulness in John is all about when you're struggling and you're battling and you stay strong, you stay holding fast, even though you don't know if you're going to be able to make it. Let's look again at the, uh, at the text. What does it take? Who, who is the overcomer? Well, is it not the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? What is it about believing that Jesus is the Son of God that makes it so that you're willing, literally willing, to get killed? I mean, let's be honest. Who, who here is ready? Who's ready to go under the knife uh, for, for the kingdom? Um, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hands. Uh, but, I mean, that's a pretty big deal, right? And we, we raise up martyrs, people who actually are willing to, to go, go the long way and, and, and take... And, and, and how is it that simply believing that Jesus is the Son of God is enough to make us faithful so that we can be overcomers? Is really just believing that Jesus is the Son of God can do that? How? Real question, how? I don't want to take a stab. Ryan, I made fun of you last week. Would you like to? <laughs> no, he's like, I was asleep. Yeah, Bill, thanks. I should never have called on you. It's a terrible choice. Listen uh, to what Jesus says about overcoming in, in John sixteen thirty three. He says, I have said this to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you face persecution, but take courage. I have overcome the world. On the face of it, that's absurd. Overcome the world? Oh, you mean you got murdered. Overcome the world? You mean they crucified you, they tortured you to death, took three hours for you to die. You overcame the world, Jesus? I, mm, that doesn't look a whole lot like overcoming to me. That whole looks a whole lot like losing to me, to everybody else, to normal people, to right-thinking folks. What happened to you, Jesus? That's not overcoming. That's, that's failure. That's loss. Your movement was gonna, is doomed to peter out, surely, uh, without you to lead it. There's no way we can call that overcoming unless... Unless the resurrection happens, unless Jesus was glorified. In fact, it's so interesting when you look at the Gospel of John, when Jesus uses the language of glorification, he's talking about being crucified. That's the moment when he's going to be lifted up. That's going to be the, the apex, the zenith of his glory, when he is literally being murdered because he is spilling, as Bill said, life into the world. And what's going to happen to Jesus is he's not going to stay dead. He's going to come back to life. And not only is he going to come back to life, he's going to be set at the right hand of the Father, glorified for all eternity as Lord and ruler of the universe. When Jesus says, I have overcome the world, he said, the world threw the most they could at me. And guess what happened as a result? I became, I am glorified, rewarded, eternally, author and perfecter of your faith. I am the one who rules forevermore. There was something coming to me. 
And I never lost sight of it. In the midst of what was going on, in the, in the midst of the violence, in the midst of the persecution, the abandonment that he felt, he saw what was coming, what was going to be there at the end. And that is the glory that the Father had set before him. When you're at the breaking point, there is nothing that anyone can say to you that's going to make you feel better. This is true if you've ever been there. In fact, when people try to make you feel better, they actually make you feel worse. They'll say things like, oh, don't worry, God's got a plan for your life. And you're like, oh, sweet. (laughs) Different plan, please. (laughs) Change it up, team. Uh, They'll say things like, um, like, uh, this is is to, you know... um, this is a trial that you have to go through to, to make your faith better. You're like, oh, mm, I feel like my faith was pretty good. <laughs> Don't think we needed this crucible. And if so, okay, I learned my lesson. Please stop. Make it stop. What is it that you hold on to? If you're Wes Hill, he's sitting there trying to figure out how to be faithful in his sexuality and not ever having the hope in, in his mind of, of, of sexual you know, satisfaction or whatever, intimacy in this life. What is it that keeps him going? He knows that his faithfulness now is going to be rewarded. He knows that what's going on in his life is he is being attacked by the enemy, and it's relentless, and it doesn't quit. And yet he's like, you know what? I believe that I will be conformed to the image of Christ. I believe in that heavenly city. I believe that when I get there, I will be honored and exalted and glorified in in exactly the same way that Jesus was. Friends, our lives are going to be filled with these things, especially, especially if we begin to live according to Christ's way, if we begin to be the kinds of people that he's called us to be. I guarantee you the demonic forces, the enemy is going to come after you. It's going to come after you. It's going to come after your life. It's going to come after your job, your family, your relationships, your marriage, your children, whatever it is. It's going to come. There will not be a, oh, oh, they're just, he's just a great Christian. Everything's cool. She's just, you know, faithful and everything's fine. The enemy can't stand that. And the enemy will come, and you are going to have to, you're going to be put to that breaking point. At some point, you are going to be pushed that far. And you are going to have to know what it is that's going to keep you going. When no words can help, when nothing that you think or feel, when there's nothing there, and you've been exhausted and pushed all the way, and you're like, you know what, I just want to quit. John says, remember the heavenly city. If you overcome now, if you don't quit now, if you stay faithful now, I have something for you that will blow your mind for eternity. There are going to be a lot of people there who tripped up, didn't make it. But if you do, if you're one of the few, the proud, the United States Marines, there's John. Uh, uh, if you're one of the few, the proud, who, who holds fast, then what is in store for you? Something beyond your imagination, better than Shanghai, better than floating, you know, Rainbow City, better even than Ikehoke Onsen. Something where you will be elevated and acknowledged in glory for all of eternity. And what are the trials that we face now in light of that? They're bad. They're really bad but eternity is worth it. Some of you uh, today are actually at the breaking point. 
in some way in your life. Um, maybe, uh, well, you know, there's, there's, there's whatever it is in your life, a temptation or a desire or um, a fear or whatever it is that um, you're just not sure you can get through any longer. To you, John says, hold fast. Hold on. He says, if you keep your eye on the prize, you will have something you cannot possibly imagine. It will never be taken from you. Ever. Some of you here, um, maybe you've been through the breaking point. You've gone through. You stayed faithful. If there is anybody who needs you now, it is those who are in the middle of the crucible as we speak. They don't need you to tell them it's all going to be okay. You can. I mean, that'll probably make them mad, but uh, you can. But, but really, they need you to be with them as a reminder that this will not have the last word, that God has the last word. Some of you uh, have never been to the raking point. Um, just wait! Ha <laughs> ha! Uh, actually, uh, Word of warning, if you've never been to the breaking point, it's not, you might want to examine whether or not you really um, are, are sold out and 100% effective uh, for the kingdom. Are you really, if, if, if the enemy has never thought it worthwhile to really needle you, uh, then you might wonder if you're maybe a little complacent. Um, and again, not the leader guy yelling at you. This is for me too. I have a very comfortable life like right now that I would never like to lose. <laughs> Uh, and, and so I'm, I, I, I'm here too. Uh, if, if, if you're not being pushed, if you're not being attacked, then maybe, maybe it's time for you to reevaluate where um, the, the kind of uh, faithfulness that you want to practice. For all of us, the encouraging word is that this. Jesus went through it. Jesus overcame. Jesus gave his spirit to us so that we too can overcome no matter what we face. When you're at the breaking point, stay with it because there is something for you that you cannot possibly imagine and it will never, ever be taken away. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, I pray for those who are at the breaking point um, today. I pray that uh, you will set their eyes on the prize, that you will set before them uh, the hope of an an eternal experience that is unparalleled, the joy of of having your honor, your glory in the the heavenly city. I pray that you'll you'll give them the strength to just keep on keeping on when, when, when nothing else uh, seems to help when despair threatens to take over. I, I, I pray, God, that you'll give them strength to push through and seek, um, seek your joy. God, for those who have been, uh, who've passed through the fire, who have been through the crucible, I pray, Lord, uh, that this, the mature faith that they have, that these overcomers, that they'll share it um, with those in need, that they'll uh, be voluble and transparent about the experience that they, experiences they've had to encourage and, and give succor and, and, and confidence to those uh, who have, uh, haven't experienced it yet. God, I pray for those of us who are complacent, um, that we will uh, redouble our commitment to your kingdom, that we will be willing uh, to enter into spiritual conflict knowing that that might have cost. 
God, for all of us, I pray that we will overcome, that we will not fail, and that you will invite us into a superlative experience of your heavenly city on the last day. All this is possible because of your son. In his name we pray, amen.